You guys can go ahead and be seated. Thank you guys. So we're gonna go ahead and, um, and get started. If you guys have ever been to Kids of Flame or YEX, you know the name of Pastor Eddie Taylor and Pastor Beth Taylor. So if you've been there, you're probably very excited. If you haven't, you've probably heard the praises from Kathy Wilkinson, you know, preached throughout the nations. But um, you guys are definitely in for a special treat, and I know they don't want me to set your expectations too high. That way they don't have to jump too far, but I'm going to set them a little bit high, at least make them lift their leg up a little bit. But they're going to do a great job. I've really been looking forward to it. So without further ado, Pastor Beth and Eddie Taylor. Uh, a floor's probably fine, don't you think? Because they're, they're pretty high. We'll see. Hey, can you see me okay from here? Can you see us? We're making uh, yeah, eye contact. Well, awesome. It's so good to be here. Um, I want to steal. Is this Xander's? Xander, I'm going to steal your music stand. Is that okay? Because I, I, I always have a lot of stuff with me. I'm a stuff guy. And uh, I need this desperately. Yeah, that'll work. Amen. Well, I just want to um, hope you got your handouts. Do you have a handout? If you didn't get a handout, it's just we just want to make it easy for you to take notes, and because um, we want to give you some transferable principles tonight that will help you in all your relationships. Glory to God. And uh, I'm trying to get to the right document. Boom. Okay, so I want to give a few words and like minister in the spirit first. Is that okay? Can we do that? Are you okay with that? Yeah. Um, I expect God to speak. I want you to expect God to speak to you when you when you like live, not just like when you come to church, but you know when you go to Publix where shopping is a pleasure. God wants to speak to you there. And um, so I just heard a few things. I just want to give them. And again. Um, Take it to your pastor and let him judge it and help you with it and um, do something with it. First thing I want to talk about, though, for just one second is the miraculous. Because I was, I was really stirred by what Allie said, and I want you guys to hear that. And I want you to develop, I know, I know their hearts enough. I've been with them like this is the third time this summer. They, they want to be, they want you all, they want this to be a tribe that moves in the power of God. Come on, why would you want anything but that? Come on, we believe in an empty tomb, amen, right, right? And so I want to help you with the principle. Here's the principle, you ready? You'll never possess what you don't honor. You'll never possess what you don't honor. And so, how, so here's the question then, Pastor Eddie. How do I know if I honor the miraculous? Here's how. When you hear a report of the miraculous, if it's on social media or someone tells you about it, is your first thought that's probably a phony or is your first thought, wow, go God? See, if your first thought is that was probably a phony or a fake, then you probably don't honor the miraculous. And I want to encourage you to develop your faith to believe that God is still moving because he is. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean that he's not. And because you need to have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And that's developed by your faith. 
But if your first thought is, oh, here we go again, then you probably have listened to people who don't believe in the supernatural and they've trained you to not believe in the supernatural. And I'm just telling you, you can't find it anywhere in this book that the supernatural stopped. No matter what denominations and movements and traditions have said, it's not in this book. You've got to do some pretty fancy scripture wrangling to get that out of this book. But a plain, straightforward reading of this book shows that Jesus Christ is the same. Hebrews 13, yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did then, he does now. And listen, other than, other than a bodily resurrection, I've seen every single thing that we sang about today. We, with my own eyes. We have seen most of those together. We ministered to a lady one night who, who had been a cutter all her life. She shook incessantly from all the medications they gave her. One prayer, she went back and got her master's degree. Got totally set free in Jesus' name. She couldn't work. She couldn't do anything. She literally had scars up and down her life from being a cutter, from trying to take her life so many times. But one power encounter with Jesus Christ changed her life forever. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Two, year, two years ago at Living Waters, I know a number of you have been in Living Waters, my son Jonathan and I prayed for a girl who had a metal plate in her leg. It completely disappeared. We saw a young woman this year at Living Waters, three weeks ago, who had been struggling with suicidal thoughts. She had all kind of stuff. She had, I'd never seen this before, instead of having cut marks, she had claw marks all up and down her arms, her legs, and her face, where she was mutilating her own body with her own hands. And that night we prayed with her, and the, and the person that was helping me pray for her said, I don't know. And I'm like, well, it's not depend on what we see, but what we believe. Come on. The next morning, she was jumping up and down in worship. She was praising God, and she got water baptized that afternoon in the creek at Living Waters. There was a little 12-year-old boy at Living Waters, and he had a horrible migraine. When you see a 12-year-old boy sitting in a rocking chair with his eyes closed, not talking or moving, something's wrong. We prayed for that little boy, and he, he said, it's a little better. It's a little better. So we prayed for him again. He jumped up. He was stunned. He said, it's gone. And he just took off running to go tell his, his, all of his friends. It was incredible. Amen. So that's us. Yeah. <laughs> say that. Say that. Say that's us. So you've got to believe that's you. You don't need Pastor Eddie to come in in his Ford to do the miraculous. It's you. You are a people of the resurrection. Come on. We serve a God from an empty tomb. You've got to develop this. So let's do this. Just open your hands. Just open your hands. I want to pray a blessing over you. Yep, yep, just receive all over this room right now. Father, we thank you that Reclaim Church is a people of the supernatural. That we're not going to make excuses. We're going to go after your face. We're going to love people. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power encounters from you, are just supernatural technology to love better. So would you flow through us to love this community in love, in compassion, and in power. And God, we expect and believe that you're going to show up, that you're going to, everything we sang about tonight, we're going to see. We're going to see, and we believe it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. 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 Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Stand up. <laughs> like, I don't really know you, I don't think, other than I've been introduced. Have you been to one of the camps where we've been? Yes. You just got back from YX. You were there all week. I, I don't really have a specific word. I just felt like I heard the Lord say, I want to give you a gift. He just wants to bless you with something, and I don't even have a clue what it is. So can we pray for you? Yeah, and if you get something. Okay, she has something. See, there you go. Not for her. Oh, okay. All right, well, just open your hands. I just meant for her. I know you got something. Yeah. Father, we thank you for Victoria. We thank you, God, that she is your handmaiden, your daughter.
And I thank you that you have not overlooked her. You have not passed her by, that you see where she is and you want to, you want to answer the deep request of her heart. And so would you bless her? We thank you for her faithfulness. We thank you for her compassion for people and her passion for you. And so we pray that, God, that you would show yourself strong to her and the secret request of her heart. We trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Corey, your friend, uh, where did your friend go, 23, that you guys grew up together? Blake. Blake. There you are. I couldn't pull your name up. So... This is for Blake. This is for Ashland that I keep wanting to call something else. And for uh, my friends from Ocala, your, your son that's at Southeastern. Jonathan. So this word is for all three of you. So you two that are here to stand up and mom and dad, you stand up. Here's why I have people stand up when I give a word of knowledge, because I believe it's an act of faith. And when you stand up, you're saying, OK, I'm receiving. I'm going to receive this. I'm getting in activity with it. Here's the truth, especially for you. I heard it for you first, Blake, and then the Lord said, tell them also. And I think, the tw I think the twins are in on this too. Are the twins in the room, Xander? And yeah, twins, you guys stand up too. I didn't know if y'all cut out because, you know, you're cool and you're teenagers and all that. Yeah, yeah. This is what I heard the Lord say. The Lord says, get ready, get ready, get ready. I am about to promote you. And I'm going to do it my way. And when I do it my way, you're going to know it's from me. And this is what, now this is what the Lord really wanted me to drop into you is that when promotion comes from God, it's always his supernatural favor for the good of others. And see, what happens sometimes is when we hear that word favor and promotion, our first thing is, wow, look at me. Because that's what Joseph did, remember? Joseph had a dream of extraordinary favor, and the first thing he did is he went and told his mom and dad and his brothers, look at me, I see everybody bowing down. But really the fruit of the favor was promotion for others because at the end of his life, Genesis 50, 20, he said, what you all meant for evil, God turned for our good and for the saving of a nation. And he's really walking in huge humility there because it's not just the saving of the nation, it's the saving of the known world. And so there's some extreme favor, some extreme um, circumstances, God's blessing is going to be on your life, on your son's life. He's going to call some things to turn. Um, and, and Corey walks in this, so he, Pastor Corey, so he knows what I'm talking about. Because I heard him say that things that, where he gets blessed, where he shouldn't get blessed. And I want you to know that's coming on you, but don't fix your eyes on the position. Don't fix your eyes on the title. Don't fix your eyes on, even on the favor, but how God wants to use you to bless other people. Because it's really for the benefit of others. Now listen, if you have a styrofoam cup and you put red Kool-Aid in it, it's going to get stained red a little bit, okay? It's going to flow to you too, but the main way it's going to flow to you is God wants to flow it through you. Amen. And so extraordinary favor. Father, release extraordinary favor and promotion, God, and give them the courage and the faith to walk through the process where you build character in them to carry the favor and the blessing and the promotion that you're putting on them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Kathy, so we haven't, we haven't talked I don't know what's going on with you personally, but I just, I just hear the Lord saying that, that, that your health is not going to be an issue for you anymore. The, 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 whatever it is, whatever it is that you continue to wrestle with, 
God is removing that. God's removing the distraction. He's removing that so that your mind is freed up, so that you're not focusing on that thing anymore. And because he loves you, wants to heal your body. I just, I just sent such, such a time of physical rejuvenation. Lord, would you just pour out on Kathy? I thank you, Lord. She has poured out on generations and generations of children. Would you just regenerate her body, Lord God? Would you fill her with youthful energy? Would you, would you ignite her, Lord, with health from heaven? And we thank you for that, and we believe you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, Ken and Leah, I, you introduced me to your friends, and I've already forgotten their names. Dan and Tabitha. Dan and Tabitha. So, we for sure haven't talked, just met you. Um, I feel like I heard the Lord say, and you just weigh this, I, I can miss it like anybody. There's, there's been an, an issue, a wall, an obstacle, something that you've been talking to the Lord about. Maybe it's a mountain that you've been going around and around and around, and you just need resolution. I just hear the Lord saying, he's got the answer. He's got the answer, and he's removing obstacles and making a way for you guys to go forward. Things that have held you back are not going to hold you anymore. That there's freedom. There's some freedoms coming that you didn't even know you needed. So, Lord, would you just have your way in them? Lord, would you just have your way? I pray that everything that is of you, God, all the things that you have for them, I pray that, that they would be so open to receive, to cooperate, to partner with you in that. Lord, create space in their life. Help them to create space in their life to see you do some miraculous things. I pray for just a slowdown in their schedule. I pray that they would take time to pull back and focus in on each other and on you in ways they never have before. And I thank you. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 One more. Uh, migraines, headaches. Anyone been struggling with migraines or headaches? Maybe not. Yeah, okay. I thought it was a dude. I should have said I should have been obedient. All right, the Lord's rolling those things off. He's also rolling off some stressors that have been squeezing in on you and, and, and really wants to give you boldness to turn those things over to him. That you wouldn't be carrying these things that have been weighing in on you. It's almost like I saw you in your thoughts and the enemy was helping you squeeze your own head so tight that it was about to bust. And so in the name of Jesus, we just roll those things off. We said, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I thank you that you have my brother in any of the person in this room who struggled with headaches, migraines, anxiety, fear. And in the name of Jesus, those things go right now. And the peace that passes all understanding as we give these things to you in, in praise and in thanksgiving, Lord, we let our supplications be made known to you. We tell you what we need. And we know that you answer. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Well, that, you got any more? Amen. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, Corey will help you fix that. If it's wrong for anybody, Corey will help you fix it. Amen. Local pastor. So Beth and I um, have been doing this kind of thing for a long time. And then in um, 2018, we pulled the trigger. And so the first day of 2019, we do this only, and we don't have a local church anymore that we pastor. We still attend one and, um, or two in, in our area and help and serve there and love there. But, but um, we would love for you to pray for us, okay? So out in the, what do you call this area? The welcome area. There's a little table over there. 
Yeah, in the welcome area, as you came in, there was a little table on the left wall. Um, on the right wall, when you came in on the left wall, as you go out, and these are on there. And I would love for you to take one, put it with your Bible, put it wherever you have your quiet time, maybe um, put it on your mirror so you'll see this picture of us, and um, just pray for us. We would appreciate that. Also, there's a resource out there, and um, the church this morning took more than I thought. But we have a few left. It's a little discipleship book, and I had a slide. I don't know if it's up there. Da -da -da, two down. No, maybe one up. Go back. Anyway, there's a little discipleship book out there that... Um, the only book out there. On the, the only table. book out there on the table. And they're four bucks a piece, but if you don't have one and you would like one and you don't have four bucks, by all means, just take one, okay? Um, it's just a resource to help you grow in your faith. There's just like 15... Um, introductory discipleship lessons and you know we're not here peddling merchandise we're here resourcing the body of Christ and so we want you to take one if that would help you okay you guys ready to grow you got your hand out so we want to talk to you tonight about hindrances to relationships what are some things that block the flow of communication thank you I was afraid if I put it there it might knock the whole thing over what are some things that will block the flow of relationships so let's say a few a uh, few things together peanut butter and Batman and love God, love people. Yeah, that's exactly right. What you somebody said, love peanut butter. No, no, love people, love people. Yeah, we want to be people that that what's happening in our lives is being reflected supernaturally between us and God is being reflected in our relationships with people, especially with those we're the closest to. And what we've found is that many times in our relationships, if you're if you're married. Or if you're here and you're single and it's a relationship with the person you're dating or with your parents or with a coworker, the people you're the closest to are the worst relationships in our life. Many times the people that we love the most are also the people we hurt the most. And so we want you to, to, to really learn and grow tonight and we want to give you some tools on how to make the relationships in your life work. Because they were meant to work. Your Christianity should be working. If your Christianity is not working, if it just works for you on Sunday, you're not doing it right. Come on, come on. That's the epitome of religion. He's a 24-hour-a-day God. And he wants to come into our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit and empower us to live in victory. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And I want to talk to you for just a moment by way of introduction and then we're going to walk through Genesis chapter 3 together and show you the hindrances in relationships straight from Genesis chapter 3. So we're going to literally go verse by verse. So if you've got your Bible, turn to the end of Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to realize and remember that Genesis is the days of recreation. The days of recreation where God takes Adam and the woman and he puts them in a perfect garden. It's the Garden of Eden. Eden means pleasure in Hebrew. So it's the ultimate honeymoon suite. It's where they can have, Beth uses this phrase, unprotected fellowship between each other and God. Intimacy. Unprotected intimacy with them, each other, and God. And God created them and put them in the middle of that to reflect what was happening inside the Trinity, inside the relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he wanted them to not only experience what he had, but then broadcast, share mentor, uh, demonstrate what he, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had to the known world. Genesis 1, 26, God created them in his image, male, female, he created them and said, be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over the earth. 
So over the darkness, Adam and the woman were to represent this new light from this high place where heaven and earth met. The only problem was is that something entered into their relationship that's entered into all of us. It's called what? Sin. So they committed high treason against God. Everything God created, God said, it is good. So rather than trusting God's definition for good, they ate from the tree that he told them not to, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, listen, listen, good can be just as bad as bad. If you try to meet your own needs, find your own identity, your own definition from resources that you can manage, from resources that you can calculate, that's good, but it's not God. And I've heard parents, because I was a youth pastor for a long time, say, well, at least they're not doing that, so at least they're doing a good thing. Good is the enemy of God many times, my friends. And so I don't want to settle for good when I can have God. Listen, and, and I'm bringing this to, we're bringing this to you tonight because we need to realize too many Christian parents, too many Christian couples have settled for being roommates or running a daycare together or running a business together instead of being passionate partners. Settle for less than intimacy. Settle for less than oneness. And you shouldn't do that in your Christian walk and you sure should not do that in your marriage. So we're going to lift the bar tonight and call you higher. See, but what we do is many times we look around and we settle for being the best of the average. Well, at least we're not as bad as Tim and Bob. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I did just say two guys' names by mistake. And I tell you, yep, see, there just goes one notch off the Kathy meter. All right, you ready? Genesis 2, 23. And Adam said, now watch this, because Adam bust out in a song. Adam, God puts Adam in a deep sleep. Adam is slain in the spirit. And when Adam wakes up, there is this creature beside him that literally in Hebrew means like me, but not quite me. Adam and man is Ish and female is Isha. He's like, Ish, Isha, whoa. And so he begins to rap. He really does. He breaks loose in a song right here. And this is what he says. Now, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Yeah, this would be really bad if I kept doing that. And she shall be called woman. Watch this. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So there's this place of perfect intimacy perfect transparency, where they're learning how to walk in oneness, that there's no barriers, there's no walls between them, and they're learning how to receive one another, to love one another, to give themselves to one another, to experience the beauty that is each other, and to grow. And it's not just in marriage. If you read the scripture, you see that Jesus promised us these kind of relationships with other people, specifically in Amos 3.3. Listen to what the prophet Amos says. Amos says... Can two walk together unless they agree? Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant is it where brothers walk together in that place of unity? It says it's like the anointing that ran down Aaron's beard, even to the hem of his garments. It's like the dew that falls on Mount Hermon. For there I've commanded the blessing. Everybody say commanded blessing. How many know that there's a commanded blessing on your relationships, believers? And what happens sometimes is our relationships are more toxic than sometimes unbelievers' relationships. Because we get our religious on people rather than moving towards transparency, intimacy, and fullness. We settle for less. 
And it all is because of one word, sin. S-I-N, sin, missing the mark, missing God's best, settling for less. Instead of setting our gaze, setting our, our view higher on what is coming from heaven, learning to live from heaven and not for heaven. See, so many American Christians, if you ask them about their Christianity, their Christianity is transactional. That, and it's our preacher type's fault because we ask them this question, do you know where you're going to be when you die? So their answer is what? Heaven. But see, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, pray this way, that your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, now begin to be my new people, this new creation, this new humanity, who's living out what Adam and the woman had and what I restored. That's why Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. It's because Adam and the woman had this place of perfection and ruling and reigning with him. And then there are two or three other times in Scripture where we see this. At the tabernacle was the place where heaven and earth met. The temple was the place where heaven and earth met. And Jesus was the ultimate place where heaven and earth met. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, his followers also became these mobile hotspots of God's presence where heaven and earth met. Say, that's me. And see, it should be you. At the Walmarts, <laughs> at Publix, everywhere you go. So here's our big idea tonight. Now, we're going to say it over and over again. It should be up on the magic screen, I think. Jesus' blood removes every hindrance to intimacy and relationships. And we're going to just go through a few of these. You ready? So Beth has the first one. Before we start unpacking these, um, <clears throat> We do not sit up here presuming to be experts at marriage. Um, in fact, we sit up here very humbly before you. We do have a few years experience. We will be 33 years 33. in November. So we've, we've had a few bumps in the road. <laughs> we've had some rough months. We've had some rough, we've had a couple of rough years. And we've worked really, really hard at our marriage. And there were moments when we wanted to give up. There were moments when, when we thought, I mean, we never talked about giving up, but moments where you just feel like, how is this ever going to, how is this going to work? And so please know that as we sit here and unpack these things, we do this from humble hearts who have walked through this stuff. We've, we've gotten down in the dirt and crawled out together, believing that God had better for us. And so, um, so please know that, that this is from our life. And we're going we're gonna to be pretty honest with you about some, some things we've walked through in our marriage. I hope that's okay. I hope that doesn't scare you. Um, part of what gives me hope is when I hear someone's testimony, and I know that I'm walking through a dark place or a hard place, and they're actually open and vulnerable and authentic about what they've gone through and where they've hurt and where they failed and how God has shown up. I think if they can do it, I can do it. And so this is what this is. If they can do it, you can do it. All right? So we're going to start with hindrance number one. Hindrance number one is deception. Your blank there is deception. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. 
Then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So let's start right here. Verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. He is a liar. <laughs> He's a liar, and the truth's not in him. He, the, the, the scripture says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to keep clear, especially in our homes, who the enemy is. The enemy is the enemy, not your spouse. If you're not married in here, let me say this disclaimer. If you're, if you're a teenager in here or if you're not married, don't fall asleep. Take some notes and put this away somewhere and hold on to it because you're going to need this. You're going to need this. I promise you. I wish I had had this back in 1988. W don't you? <laughs> wish, yeah. wish we had. Or 1995. Some of those years, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> the enemy's the enemy. Your wife's not the enemy. Your, your husband's not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy. Here's a big one. Your pastor's not the enemy. Somehow, we, we preacher types get blamed for things because when we're mad at God and we, we're, we feel too guilty to take it out on him because he's God, so we take it out on the church, church leaders in our life or our parents or whomever. But the enemy is the enemy. He is the liar and the deceiver. So if you look there in verse two and three, verses two and three, where after the, the enemy un, un, begins unloading all these lies on her and starts asking questions, because what does he do? He causes her to doubt God's goodness. He, he causes her to doubt who God is. And she starts out really well. In verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you should not eat it, nor should you touch it, lest you die. So she, she started out really strong, because what do we need to do when the enemy comes and lies to us? Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, and the enemy came and tempted him and, and tried to get him to go where he knew he shouldn't go, he quoted the word back to him. He spoke the truth back to him. And so the woman spoke back to the enemy what God had said, sort of. So deception blocks this intimate connection. Deception, deception comes in, and it, it, the thing about being deceived is that you're deceived. I mean, have you ever talked to someone who was really deceived about something, and you try to point the truth out to them, but it's like looking through um, sunglasses that make everything kind of orangey-yellow? I mean, people can tell you that the sky is blue, but you're like, dude, the sky's yellow. I mean... Hello, just look. So what we have to do is pray that, <laughs> that the Lord can come and pull those glasses off, those scales off, so that we can see past the deception and see the truth. And the Word of God is such an incredible antidote to the deception of the enemy. So that first lie then is, did God really say? The enemy wanted her to doubt God's goodness, to doubt his character, to doubt his intentions toward her and towards her husband. And she did. It worked. And then things got a little squirrely because when she's repeating back what God said, she says, nor shall you touch it. Well, God didn't even say that. If you go back and look to where, where God had spoken to them, what they're supposed to do, he didn't even say that. So when the enemy comes in, he can twist even the scripture and make you think that you're walking in truth when you're not. 
And that's why we have to know, we have to know this book. We don't have to be perfect, but we need to be in it so that we can win it. Yeah. So, you will, you will surely not die, is what the enemy told her. He says, you will not die. Well, here's the truth. They did die. They died spiritually. In the moment that they chose to do what God asked them not to do, they died spiritually. And then they died physically. They didn't live forever. We weren't built with the death gene. We weren't created for death because mankind was created to live and to have unbroken, unprotected intimacy with the Father. And when we stepped outside of that plan, the first man, first woman stepped outside of that plan, then it opened us up to all these other things and all this deception and death. And the second thing is, you will be like God. God doesn't want you to eat that because he knows you're going to be like God. What a damnable lie that is. They already were like God. They couldn't have been more like God. You and I don't know what that first man and woman knew in that garden of pleasure, walking and talking with him in the cool of the day. No clue. No clue at all. You will be like God. Genesis 127 said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We are like him. We are made in his image. Man and woman are very, very different parts of his image. Woman was inside of man, right? Remember the beginning with creation? And then God takes woman out of him. So there are, there are, there's a whole element of who God is that's missing in the man. And there's a whole part of who God is that's missing in woman because it's in man. And so together we create this incredible, beautiful image of who God is. And the enemy is still lying in the earth today, telling people that they're not created in God's image. People don't even know what gender they are anymore. <laughs> The enemy wants to come and take away every good thing that God's given us. But the good news is, John 14, 6 said, <laughs> this, is, this is Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the, the question here for you is, if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and he's our, he's our truth, we don't get to choose our truth. The world tells you, just, just live your truth. There is only one truth, and he's the man Christ Jesus, and everything in the word is truth. So to, to put this practically, because it, we, we hear things taught in the church, and it's, it's great, it's good. How do I apply it to my life? So how do I apply this to my marriage? Ask yourself, where are you believing lies in your relationships? If you're not married, it can be in, in your relationships with your parents or with friends or with somebody you're close to. In your marriage, where are you believing lies that have come in and brought destruction? We've believed lies in our marriage about each other. And rather than confronting those lies together and going before the Lord and asking, there were years that lies lingered. And we'll um, probably unpack that a little bit. But what we want to do is look at where are we believing lies? Where are we going around the mountain over and over and over again in our marriages? <laughs> And dealing with the same things over and over again. Oftentimes it goes back to a place where the enemy is telling us a lie about our marriage. Yeah, and if we believe a lie about ourselves, about the world around us, or about God, then it'll affect our relationships. 
And so I really encourage you, you need a truth teller in your life. Listen, your job is to be your spouse's greatest hero and friend and support, but you have to tell them the truth. Listen, for a pastor, being, us being pastors a long time, sometimes we think that guy doesn't tell his wife the truth or she doesn't tell him the truth because they, you'd see one of them so deceived and you're thinking, wow. Listen, how many know that, the, like Beth said, the problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived and so you need a, your spouse to be a truth teller. You need a mentor or a friend who can tell you no. You need someone in your life who can say, that dog don't hunt, hot shot. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Someone who says, hmm, I don't think so. That's not the truth. All right, you ready? Hendricks number two. And we're just, again, walking right through Genesis 3. Hendricks number two is pride, lust, and temptation. Pride, lust, and temptation. Now watch, temptation is not sin, but when we're being controlled by our pride and lust, it will give way to temptation just like it did with Adam and the woman. So watch, and it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. They gave in to the temptation. Now this is incredible because they are both perfect up to this point. Created in the image of God, there was no flaw found in them, yet they yielded temptation. So I think we have to go to the New Testament to get the answer to this. And the New Testament is very clear in the book of James where temptation comes from. Look what it says, James 1.14. But each one is tempted when? When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Here's what I want you to understand. Many times we yield to temptation because there is something in us that wants to somehow answer the desires, the needs, the identity of our lives in another way besides God's way. There was something in them that got really excited when they thought they could disobey God and do it their own way, create their own reality. And we're seeing this around us so much. And I want us to be a people that we believe the word of God. Now listen to what John the Beloved says over in 1 John chapter 2, which many theologians teach, and I believe this, that this is the answer to the definition of what happened in the garden. It says, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, she saw that the food was good, the lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to look at, and the pride of life, desirable to make one wise, is not of the Father, but of the world. So in other words, these two beings, Adam and the woman, that were heavenly beings, heavenly earth beings, they settled for the less and the lower. You know what sin is? Sin is trying to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Just yielding to temptation. Usually your pride is right in the middle of it. I'm telling you, when I try to answer my problems in my life, when I try to make a, a, an excuse to Beth, when I want to blame her for something going on in our life, when I was a teenager and trying to blame my parents or blame my boss, usually the sentence is sound like this, I, me, and mine. Do you hear that? At the center of it was me, the great new God of the universe. And what I want you guys to see is there is a proper place for using those pronouns. Inside relationships, when you're talking about how things make you feel, it's right to say I, me, and mine. But it's not right to use those words. We're going to flip that over. Yeah, I'm just going to put this on the floor. Or knock your bottle over too. Yeah. Um, 
We take the bait. See, pride, your pride and your lust will do this. It will tempt you to take advantage of others. It'll tempt you to mistrust others and deceive others. See, what Beth was making reference to was Beth's mom was married four times and her dad was married four times each. And so somewhere in my woundedness, somewhere in my flesh, I began to believe pretty early on that she was going to cheat on me because adultery ran in her family. Because I just thought, well, you know, and so, and I, what, I didn't become jealous, I became fearful because I, was, I yielded to that temptation and it created a wall, it created barriers, it created arguments between us because every few months or so it would come around that I would be suspicious and, 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 and trying to meet insecurities in me through, through illegitimate means. And so I want you to understand something. When I give in, when I take the bait, just like they, take the, they took the bait, it causes us not to accept who God has made us and it causes us not to accept the other people in our lives. So instead of us being loving, remember what 1 Corinthians says, love is love is what? Kind. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love believes the best. Love hopes all things, endures all things. So rather than walking in love is that when you yield to your pride and you're tempted into your selfishness, it makes you turn inward and it shrinks your world. But here's the good news. You ready? Jesus empowers us to accept one another. But it takes a declaration of faith. It takes you believing the truth about your spouse, believing the truth about the people you're in relationship with, and believing the best about them. So usually what we do is we say, if you get me once, you'll never get me twice, and we build walls. But can I tell you this? The same wall that you've built that you think is protecting you is also keeping love out. And the reason why you're lonely, the reason why you're miserable is because you have built walls to protect yourself rather than trusting the God of the universe to protect you. But Romans 10 says this, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. And I really encourage you, join a small group, build relationships, trust again, trust again and watch and see what God will do in your life. That's good. So the third hindrance then to intimate connection and in, in relationships in your marriage is, is religion. Religion. And you're probably thinking, what? <laughs> Let me unpack this for you. Genesis 3-7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So this is a pure example of religion. It's man making his own way to cover his own sin. It's not, it's not the resolution of it that, that, that surrender to Jesus is, that the blood of Jesus is. It's our own way. It's what we do. It's man's means to fix man's problems. And it's never enough. It's never good enough. The whole Old Testament is the story of man trying to get back to God by following the rules and burning the animal flesh and doing the sacrifices. And they never quite got it right because mankind needed to see that they needed a savior. They needed a savior. They didn't need a list of rules to keep. 
And that's not to say that the Ten Commandments are not important, but it's out of that intimate connection with the Father that we love him and want to obey and walk in all those things because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You don't think that's true. You live with a teenager. You raise a teenager, and you don't have intimate connection with them, and you're not listening to their heart and wanting to know how they're feeling and why they're behaving like they don't have a brain. Ask them, what were you thinking? (laughs) Say, hey, what's going on in your heart? What is happening in there? Is something bothering you? Talk to me. I want to listen. I'm going to listen and not say anything for a while. Just talk to me. Because what God wants... (laughs) is a real intimate connection that from that we can have this understanding that these rules and these these regulations, these boundaries are to protect us. They're for our good, not just so we can check it off. We kept the rules. And we want that in our home. We want that in our marriages. So Christianity, see, is not a religion. If you do religious studies in college, it's included as one of the religions. But Christianity by definition, is relationship with the man Christ Jesus. That's what it is. It's a living, breathing relationship with a living, real God. It's not an adherence to a bunch of rules. It's not sacrifices and things that you have to do to measure up and get the favor of the gods. We have his favor, therefore we can live surrendered and free. Amen. And I want that in my marriage. I want that in my marriage. I want that in all my relationships. Christianity is God reaching for man. Religion is man trying to earn connection with God. They sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I can fix this. I messed it up. I got to fix it. And there's no fixing it. There's surrender. That's what there is. So we try to earn, uh, trying to earn righteousness is filthy rags, and it's always going to cause comparison. If you, if you wonder why you struggle with comparison, maybe you struggle with it in your marriage. Because we're, we're, we are operating out of our flesh. We want to, to solve our issues in our marriage by our flesh rather than surrendering to what God wants. And you know what? Sometimes it might just mean that you need to go see a counselor. Maybe you need to get some help outside yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. We've done it. We've had issues that we couldn't quite resolve. And we had to get some help. No shame in it. As a matter of fact, good for you if you've done that. Sometimes we need a pastor or a Christian counselor who knows the Lord, who knows the Lord to help us walk to a place where we're communicating properly. We're dealing with the issues that we keep circling over and over and over again. We don't want to use any kind of means of the flesh. That's what religion is. The good news is Jesus didn't come to fix you. Okay? This is going to offend some of you. Jesus didn't come to fix you. He came to love you. And it's in all that loving of you that the fixing flows out of. (laughs) Because we're broken. We're a mess. You can imagine us. I'm 20 years old, and he just turned 24 when we got married. And my parents had been married four times each. (laughs) I mean, it was, I, I, I didn't really want to get married ever because I thought, eh, I, I don't see a lot of reason at home to get married. And frankly, I didn't see a lot of good reasons in the church to get married. I didn't, I didn't see a ton of healthy marriages. And so I thought, 
I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I didn't hate men. I just hated the idea of living miserably. So I thought, I'll be all right. Me and Jesus, I'll write some books. I'll travel. I'll preach. I'll do my thing. And I don't have to be married. It'll be cool. And then I met him. And I changed my mind. <laughs> and I'm so glad I did. Jesus didn't come to fix us. I was a mess when we got married. Jesus healed me. He began healing me. And I'm going to unpack a little bit more of that in the next point that I make. But God is faithful. If we will stop trying to fix our marriages in our own flesh and our own strength by some means that excludes the presence of the Lord, then we can have real healing and real resolution in our marriage. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't expect us to come into your... You, you're not going to come into your marriage perfect. <laughs> In fact, when you get married, you realize, whew, not only am I not perfect, but neither is she. <laughs> I thought she was until I started sharing a roof with her, and she is not perfect. We began to really infuriate each other over the dumbest little things. We had some fights. We fought over what load of clothes to wash the white sweatpants in. We argued over which side of the sink to put the dirty dishes. We argued over dumb stuff. And we don't argue over dumb stuff anymore. But God had to help us realize that it's not all about me, sweetheart. You know, it's not all about him that it's about him. And if we'll turn our marriage over to him and let him invade it, no matter how painful it is, we can live free. We can live free from religion. Yeah, and there's some transparency and some openness and understanding. You can't fix you, much less fix your spouse. So if you got married to someone or if you're dating someone and you're just thinking, you know what, she would be okay if it wasn't for this one thing, then you might as well find somebody else. Because that's just, you, you marry someone, that's why we make this point. Jesus didn't come to fix us, he came to love us. But because he loves us so much, his overwhelming love and acceptance transforms us. Like from a caterpillar to a butterfly. All right, number four, you ready? Hindrance number four, shame. Shame. Watch and see what happens. Look at verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Here's what shame does. Shame confuses an action with an identity. Shame confuses an action with an identity. In other words, shame says, if I've told a lie, you're a liar. What shame wants to do is to tie you to the worst moments of your life. I'm telling you, those of us in this room that minister, I can tell when I start praying with someone many times what they've done by the words they use and by the way they hold their eyes because their face reveals that they're still believing the worst moment in their life. See, shame causes you to run from God and run from relationships rather than run into them. Now think about this for a second. The only source of healing and help in the universe, they could hear him walking towards them. I don't know what it sounds like. Maybe that's a Bigfoot. But, you know, imagine what a God step sounds like. They said, we heard him walking. And what had become, what was normative for them, what was joyful, what caused passion in them. Remember when you couldn't wait to talk to your spouse? 
And then you start dreading it when you're living out of shame. You see? See, what shame wants to do is shame confuses a moment with a person. Shame will cause you to hide. Adam and the woman hid. But here's the good news. You ready? Jesus came to destroy shame. Romans 5, 5 says this. Listen to this truth. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Holy Spirit, what he does is when we are born again, Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and begins to establish again as a down payment of the good world to come. That's what the scripture says. Kingdom truth, heaven truth in us again that's driving out the lies, that drives out the guilt, drives out the shame. I remember in 1986 when I received Jesus Christ as for real my Savior. Man, it was like years of burden, guilt, shame, self-hatred, the the many, many of the lies in my mind were rolled off instantly. So I want you to understand something. Jesus loves you completely and unconditionally. If you can f- fill in the blank of the sentence, if I do this, God will love me more. See, if you can put anything in that blank, my friend, you're trusting in your works and not in the finished work of the cross. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. Because Christianity is not transactional. There is one transaction we invite him in, but it's relational. And he's grafted you in. He loves you. And see, when we begin to look at our spouses that way and begin to look at other people that way, it destroys shame. And see, listen, you should not be living over and over again the worst moments of your life. Can I tell you something? If you were to ask God, if Jesus would materialize right here and we could set up a Catholic-style confessional where you could go in one at a time and say, all right, Jesus, tell me about the worst sin I've ever committed. If you're really born again in here, do you know what he would say? I can't remember. See, only the God of the universe limits his supernatural or expands his supernatural so he makes himself forget the sins that we've really committed to him. Wow. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He removes it once and for all. And so I don't have to bring that kind of shame into my relationships. I don't have to put shame on my spouse. Parents in this room, listen to me. Do not ever say to a child, a grandchild, a coworker, shame on you. That's antichrist. If the Holy Spirit removes shame from us, we should, shouldn't, as the church, go around putting it on people. And I just say that to every person in this room, every person watching. Shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame off you. Shame out of your marriage. That we could behold one another face to face, no longer a veil, and, and, be, and know and be known. Without fear of labels, of past, of where we'd been, of accepting each other for who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul calls it this way. Paul says, no longer judging by the flesh, but now being known by the Spirit. What would happen if we looked at people by the Spirit? I tell you what we'd do. We'd pass by the seven suckers that weren't called, and we'd find David out in the field. Come on, y'all. That's what Samuel did. He saw by the Spirit, not by the natural. See, as long as we're being motivated by works, by performance, then we're living less, and you're bringing less into our relationships than Jesus died for. 
And I don't want to do that ever again. I sure don't want to judge her. See, I was putting shame on her every time I feared, every time I thought, because you come from all that junk, you're going to bring that junk into our marriage. I was projecting shame onto her because I was still living a shame-based Christianity. Jesus wants to set us free from the roller coaster performance-based Christianity and let us really learn how to walk at the finished work of the cross. Amen? Come on, either Jesus, when he said it is finished, that's exactly what he meant or not. That's exactly what he meant. And when I learn to live out of that, it opens me up to love, to forgiveness, and to the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. That's really good. I was just thinking... Probably one of the best things you can say to your spouse when they're wrestling with something that brings shame to themselves is to look them in the eyes and say, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. These are choices that you're making right now, but that's not who you are. Let's get help. Let's get help together. I'm right here with you. All right. Hinders number five. Fear. F-E-A-R is a nasty four-letter word. Fear. Genesis 3, verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said to God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You do know God knew where Adam was, right? He's pretty smart. <laughs> God wasn't looking for Adam. He knew where Adam was. God was punctuating the distance that Adam had created. He was saying to Adam, I see what you've done, and I'm still calling for you. I'm still coming after you. Wow. I'm still coming after you. We hide our nakedness. We want to, we, you, you, we do, we make fig leaves still. I'll, I've heard people read this story and they're like, that's ridiculous. Why would you hang leaves there? That's so dumb. Well, you know what? We've been hanging leaves on stuff in our lives, too. We all hang leaves on things. We try and cover things up because we're afraid. Because we're afraid. The good news is God is always, always going to come after you. There are people that, that, that have married decades that still struggle with habitual sin. Pornography is a huge issue in our world Devices like this make it real easy. When I was in high school, you had to have a brother or sister or older somebody that, that, that could go buy those magazines. Now you just click, click, click. And we live in fear because we think that if anybody knew, if anybody knew what I was struggling with, it would just be over. But God knows what you're struggling with. Even if your spouse doesn't know what you're struggling with, God knows. And I don't say that like, God knows. I'm saying, God knows. He is calling you up higher. He is calling me up higher, always. He is always pursuing us, breaking shame and breaking fear so that we can come to him and say, I don't know how to be free. I don't know how to be free from this. I want to be free. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear makes your world so much smaller. When we first got married, I was 20 years old. I was 19 when we got engaged. I was still in college. And I was a um, pretty even keel, emotionally person, not 
not, no mood swings, not, not a fearful person. And a couple of weeks before our wedding date, I woke up one morning to a panic attack. I just woke up my heart racing and feeling afraid, kind of like I would feel if I had to go have a root canal to dentist. That's like the most terrifying thing in the whole planet to me. And that was how I felt. I woke up and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And it, it undid me. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. And I went to the doctor and I said, what is wrong with me? And he said, well, do you have any stress in your life? I said, well, I'm getting married in two weeks. He was like, well, that's it. So he gave me these things called beta blockers, which is what they used to give athletes. And it just kind of cuts off the messaging system so that you don't know you're freaking out. And I took my last one on our wedding day. Our wedding day was fabulous. Our honeymoon, not so much. We had to go home early. All I wanted to do was sleep. I was terrified of the, of the feeling of a panic attack. And I couldn't figure out what had happened to me. And I started thinking I was going crazy. And I thought, if he really knew what was going on in here, he would just, we could get an annulment. He didn't have to divorce me. We'd been married, what, two weeks? And it, it didn't get better. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. And we didn't have anybody in our life to say, hey, you're under the attack by the enemy. This is a spirit of fear. This is a spirit of fear. And, and to help me. So we did, the only thing we knew to do, Eddie wrote scriptures. Every scripture there was on fear and life. He wrote on index cards, and we put them everywhere. I had them at work. I had them in my books when I went to class. I had them at home, in the bathroom mirror. I had them on my visor, in my car. I had them everywhere. And I literally said the word to myself over and over and over and over again. And I fought that thing for three years. And it got a little bit better. And then we had a man who was a, a, a couple that came through our church, prophetic, very prophetic. And he prayed over me. And he just called out that spirit of fear. And God set me free. Amen. I didn't know. I didn't know. Fear is a horrible thing. And you can struggle with fear in a lot of different ways. And ironically, my own husband was struggling with fear, and we didn't even know it. And it manifested completely differently in his life. Like he shared earlier, it was fear. There was a root of fear in him about me and where I came from. And it caused huge issues in our marriage. Well, the first four years of our marriage was a huge issue because of me. And he stood with me. And so then all those subsequent years when we kept going around this mountain over and over again, and every five, six weeks, we'd have this big fight over the same issue. And it was because he was afraid. And he was trying to fix that void in him, that fear, with me. <laughs> and I, I'm a really good Beth. I'm super good at being me. I don't know how to be anybody but me. But I'm a terrible Jesus. <laughs> and I couldn't do it for him. And you know what? He wrote all the scripture cards for me, but he couldn't fix me. The Lord had to come in, but we went to Jesus together. And when we finally realized what he was dealing with, we did the same thing. And we went to Jesus together, and God set him free from fear. Fear is crippling. Fear will ruin everything. And I want to spend the rest of my life calling that thing out. It will ruin your marriage, but it doesn't have to. Because most of it is just lies. <laughs> it's just lies. It's just lies. Fear limits, fear clouds. 
the good news, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We drew into the love of God. We really did. We drew into him. We didn't know what else to do. What else do you do? We didn't know. So we used the word of God. And the love of God came and broke that fear in me and in him. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And you might not be struggling with panic attacks, anxiety. That's fine. Fear wears a lot of different outfits. And it masquerades. Fear, one of the best ways that fear dresses is as wisdom. Oh, that's not wisdom. I can't do that. I can't, I'm, I'm, that's not, I don't think I can do that. That doesn't feel like the wise thing to do. Well, it really wasn't wise for Hosea to marry Gomer. She was a prostitute. But you know what? God asked him to do it. I defy you to open the Bible and not find examples of all the ways people did things that God told them to do that, that a counselor on the corner would say, that is not a good idea. I don't think I would do that. Up and move to Tennessee? Why would you do that? Go move back to your hometown in South Georgia? Why would you do that? I have no idea. I'm hoping he's going to tell us by the time we get there. But we do what God asks us to do. Sell your house in 2009. Try that one out for size. That was fabulous. But that's what God asked us to do. And he did a miracle. And he continues to do miracles when we don't operate in fear. And so wherever in your marriage you are living out of fear, stop it. Pull together and run to Jesus. Get some counseling. Go to your pastor. Do whatever it takes to stop that thing in its tracks. Don't let it ruin your marriage anymore. You have to break up with fear. You look at fear and you say, it's not me, it's you. It's you. Did you ever see Bugs Life? Love that movie. Because in that movie, the grasshoppers had all those wimpy little ants convinced that they were outnumbered and that they couldn't win. And it was a lie. They were big, they were imposing, they were crunchy and disgusting, but they did not outnumber the ants. The ants way outnumbered them. And so the enemy comes, a bully, a crunchy, disgusting bully that you can step on with your shoe. And he lies to us and he tells us that we're outnumbered. Your marriage is doomed. Your wife is never gonna change. Your husband is never gonna stop doing that thing. And it's a lie because God can break you free from fear and he can set your marriage free from fear. Yeah, and he can establish the intimacy, the oneness that you so desire. It's not a pipe dream. We had a relative that used to tell us, well, it's just easier for you. I really think that she thought we were living in a Disney movie. Like birds would fly in and clothe us in the morning. But listen, if you will choose God's way because God's ways are better, God's ways are best, and align yourself and not settle for less, not settle for fear, not settle for deception, you'll walk in it all. So not only deception and pride and lust, temptation, religion, shame, fear, but what about this one, blame shifting? 
Blame shifting will ruin a relationship like nothing else. Hindrance number six. Look at this. Genesis 3, 11 and 12. And then he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, what would have been the right answer there? Yes, I did. We did. I did. But look what the answer is in verse 12. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Now watch this. The two, only two, but the two most powerful people in the galaxy are acting like kindergartners right now. You know, like God needs to come to Eden and draw a line down the middle and go, don't you cross that line. Because they're blaming rather than accepting responsibility. You know what will empower you in your relationships? Taking responsibility for your actions. You see, when, when I choose to be responsible, then I'm, I'm, I have the ability to respond, not to react. See, reaction is hardwired into you genetically. If you remember, how many of you ever been to a pediatrician and they either hit you or your children on the knee with a little hammer? There would be a reaction. It's a natural fallen reaction to blame shift. It's a natural reaction to blame someone else, to say, uh-uh, not me, I didn't do that. But listen, when the Spirit of God comes in us, He knows that, that He wants to empower us for our relationships to make sense. And for that to happen, we accept responsibility for our actions. See, because here's the truth of the matter. Adam was telling the half-truth, but a half-truth is always a what? A lie. A half-truth is always a lie, because look what it says back in verse 6. So she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband who was with there, and he ate. Now, if, if anything, come on, I've heard this passage so distorted, and people saying, well, you see, it's the woman's fault. No. If he was really standing there, why didn't he just look at her and go, uh-uh, we're not eating that. Why, why, why would we eat that? But he's just there like this, just moony-eyed. Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me, too, you know? Listen, you have to take responsibility for your actions. See, as long as you're blaming the issues in your marriage, well, honey, this is just the way I was raised. That's how we do it. Then what you're saying is, is that your parents and the way you were raised, the strongholds of your past are stronger than the grace of God. And I'm going to tell you that's a lie. But we have to appropriate the grace of God to walk in it. And as long as you're blaming on someone else, blaming on your spouse, well, she just makes me. Easy, cowboy. So you're saying that this 100 and whatever pound woman can make you do or just the other way around. Well, he makes me. He just drives me crazy. No, no, no. We have to take responsibility and say, you know what? I have a self-control issue and I believe God can help me. See how that frames the conversation, that frames the moment and gives you the ability to receive grace from God? See, what would happen if we believed that our marriages could be more godly, if our relationships could be more godly? That would empower us. See, blame shifting ties you up and puts everyone in bondage around you because what happens is if you don't accept responsibility, then you're going to make the person next to you, your spouse, your friends, your family, your coworkers, whomever, give up. Because they're going to say, what's the use? Because no matter what I do, Eddie's not going to take responsibility for his actions. But listen to the good news. Here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 3 says, now where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, but for grace to move in your life, you've got to admit that you need it. 
You've got to say, God, help me. I think one of the most anointed prayers we can ever pray is help. But you've got to be willing to give up on the weakness of the past, the brokenness of the past, the blame shifting to let God's grace move into your relationships right now, to take responsibility, to engage, to really apologize. Talk to them like you did yesterday about what a real apology looks like. We taught our boys when they were little. It, it used to drive me crazy to, my sister used to do this to me when we were growing up. My mom would say, you apologize to your sister. And she'd say, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I feel your deep repentance. <laughs> so we, we taught our boys that, that there were three things you do when you've done something wrong. First of all, you own it. Own it. Yes, I did break your, your, your model airplane. I destroyed it because I wanted to, and I'm really sorry. Admit it. Own it. I did that. Don't lie. Don't blame somebody else. Just own it. Yes, I did that. And then apologize. I am so sorry that I destroyed your favorite toy. I am so sorry that I dishonored you in front of our friends at that dinner party. I'm so sorry that I don't listen to you when you talk to me. And then I expect you to listen to me when we go to bed at night. I'm sorry. And then, number three, will you please forgive me? Because what happens is when we apologize, we're acknowledging that we did something wrong, but, but to become powerful is, 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 to, is to, be, to be a powerful person is to empower the other person. So what you do is you, you make yourself vulnerable. You say, I am sorry that I did that. Will you please forgive me? It puts the ball back in their court. They could look at you and say, no, I'm not going to forgive you. You're a jerk. You're always a jerk. And your brother might do that when you're, you know, 12, but hopefully your spouse won't. That, that unguarded authenticity of saying, I'm so sorry I hurt you. That was wrong. I was, I was so insensitive to do that. Would you please forgive me? That melts everything. <laughs> that melts the, the, the pain that you've caused in your spouse. And then they can look at you and say, yes, I forgive you. Thank you for apologizing. Thank you for owning that. Because if you have to convince your spouse over and over and over again that, yes, you did do that. It did hurt my feelings. And so it's important that we are empowering in the way that we apologize. We own our actions. We ask forgiveness. We apologize, and then we ask for forgiveness. So, okay. Do you remember in Luke chapter 5... Jesus is teaching in a home, and there's just crowd. The house is full of people. There's people all around. And there's the paralytic on the bed, and his friends want to get him to Jesus so Jesus can pray for him to be healed. And they can't get through the crowds. They can't get to the door. So what do they do? On the roof. <laughs> and they go up on the roof, and they dig through someone else's roof. Can you imagine someone busting through your roof? and lowering somebody down into your living room. Can you imagine? That's friendship right there. Just in case you're not sure what friendship looks like, that's, that is friendship. And you know what we see a lot of times in the church? We see people pushing off people off the roofs. They should be lowering them down through. And we've got to stop doing that. 
We've got to partner with God. We want to partner. In your, in your marriage, you want to partner with God to see your spouse come to the place where he can encounter Jesus or she can encounter Jesus. That's what they were doing. They were getting him through the roof down where he could encounter Jesus and be healed. And that's what we want to do in our marriages. We want to actually carry one another as best we can. Say, all right, let me help you get there. I can't, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings. Okay, I really like Lord of the Rings. I can't carry the ring for you, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. I cry every time. I'm like, this is so weird, but that just makes me cry every time. That's Calvary. Yes, I totally am, and I'm okay with it. But that's like, that's the most beautiful picture of, of Calvary love, you know? I'll carry you. I'll get you up on the roof. I'll, I'll dig a hole through his roof. He's going to be mad at me later, but I'm going to get you to Jesus. If we could just do that in the church. But we've got to do it in our marriages first. We can't expect the church to look any better than our marriages. They're just not going to. We are. Our marriages are the picture of, of the bride. We... we we're a representation of what heaven's supposed to look like on earth. So the antidote then to the barriers to intimacy, all these barriers that we just went through, is the blood of Jesus. The guys knew it when they were taking the, their friend who couldn't walk through the roof to get to Jesus. They knew Jesus was the answer. i got to get there. Genesis 3.21 says, Also for Adam and his wife. This is, this is the last verse out of Genesis chapter 3. Also for the last one we're going to talk about. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. See, this is the first blood sacrifice that we see in Scripture. God sacrificed animals to make skins to cover their nakedness. Because let's all just be honest, leaves aren't going to cut it very long, right? I mean, that's just not, that's not okay. Couldn't go down to the mall, pick them up some jeans. So we had blood sacrifice. And it was a foreshadowing of Calvary. It was a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus that would pay ultimately so that all could come and be made free. What removes deception and pride, lust, religion, shame, fear, and blame is the blood of the Lamb. And I just love John the Baptist, like the biggest weirdo in Scripture. John one twenty nine. The next day, John saw Jesus, who was his cousin, <laughs> and he knew him as his cousin, but he saw him as the Savior, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we could just, if we could just see it in our marriages, that the blood of Jesus is enough to deal with what is wrong in your marriage. It is enough. <clears throat> it is enough. It is enough. Well, this is a very practical, nuts and bolts kind of a thing. And what we wanted to do to wrap this up is to give you an opportunity. If you've got, I know it's 830, it's getting late. We don't have to belabor this. But if there's any questions, if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if, if, if you've got a, if there's something we said that, that you can't quite wrap your brain around, maybe it, 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 it troubles you and you want to ask something or, or comment, we would love for you to be able to do that. We don't have all the answers, my goodness. <laughs> but if there's any way that we can together come, come to a place to answer your question, we would be so honored to do that. So if you guys have any questions or you want to say anything, please feel free.
And then I'm going to pray for us when we're done. Then we'll pray. Anybody? Anything? Let's do this. Can we stand? Is it okay, Corey, if we, we close this way? And then I'm going to turn it over to you, or Allie. I believe that because I believe that the entire Bible, you can really find most doctrines of Scripture, if not all doctrines, in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. So I believe the individual problems that you might be having in your marriage, you can probably trace it to one of these six major big areas of every relationship, not just your marriage relationships. And so what I would like to do now is lead us in a prayer that we just yield to Jesus, that we just surrender afresh to him, and that we would ask him to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit and to empower us to walk out the beauty of marriage. Marriage is meant to be this beautiful picture of heaven on earth. And, and I, I don't want you to suffer. So many people suffer in marriage or they settle for less. And we just came here tonight to, again, not that we've got it all together, but to lift the, the standard, lift it higher so that you would lift your gaze and believe that God has better for you. For all the single people in the room, I believe what Beth said, remember these things, but also begin to practice these things in every relationship. And listen, if you're dating someone and they can't get along with their parents, listen, don't believe the lie that it's all about their parents. That guy, that girl, they have relationship issues. And they need to work on that so they can bring something to you and you can bring something to them. Amen? Come on. I'm talk to you like a big person because I love you. So let's do this. I want you just to uh, just let Holy Spirit guys. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this room. Thank you for Reclaim Church. Thank you for a people that want to raise the standard here in Central Florida, that want to see your presence flood this entire region, the villages, the lake region, to see the new humanity come forth in the mind of God. To see this new humanity come forward. And Father, I trust you to do that. Now I want you just to do this. I want you to just as an act of faith, hold your marriage, hold your relationships in your hands right now. Just hold it. And let's do two things. First, I want you just to lift that up to God. Just lift them a little higher. Father, what you see is we're raising up our relationships. We're giving them to you. God, we say that, like Beth said, in our flesh, we don't have it. I can't out-intellect, out-smart, out-strength, out-finesse, out-character, out-figure, out-logic to have good marriage. It's a covenant. And because it's a covenant, there has to be a supernatural element involved. And it's you. It's you, Jesus. So we lift the marriages up and we give them to you. And I want you to do this. I want you to take that same, your same hands where you've been holding your marriage. Now, I want you to see that you're not holding your marriage. I want you to see all the hurts. Maybe that you've carried from childhood. Maybe that you have inflicted on your spouse or on a friend or your spouse or friends have inflicted on you. And I want you to do this. Just turn your hands over and drop those things right now. Let's drop those things at the foot of the cross. Father, we declare right now as we drop these things that we're not going to carry our cares but we're going to cast our cares on you because you care for us.
We thank you that at the cross, at this greatest moment eternity, that you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That we accept and receive that forgiveness right now. We give forgiveness to our spouse. We don't make them earn it. We just give it. We give forgiveness to our parents, our grandparents, coaches, teachers, friends, anyone who've hurt us. We just release all this pain right now. And we believe you. We believe that the word of God's powerful, mighty. So we release the hurt, the pain, the disappointment. Some of you need to release disappointment. You thought it would be better. But I want to tell you something. I declare where there was, where there was disappointment, now that hope is arising. So now turn your hands over and let's begin to receive from the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Father, release hope in this room right now. Release the power of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill every believer with hope, with your promise, with your presence, with your gifts, your calling, your mantles. God, with Holy Spirit perseverance, determination, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. God, that we would go long with each other that we would be honest, we'd take responsibility, and that we'd see your presence. God, that we don't believe the lies of the garden. We don't walk out those first da dangerous, dark actions from the garden. But instead, we are people that we live from a new garden. We don't live from that broken place. Now we live from the Calvary garden. <laughs> now we live from the finished work of the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. I thank you for hope arising right now in this room. Can you feel that, that hope arising in your heart? That your marriage can improve. It can get better. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. I encourage you to go home with these notes and talk about this. I want you to understand that it was two years ago that we got some freedom in some of these areas. Two years ago. We're about to have our 33rd anniversary. Don't let that discourage you. Let our ceiling be your floor. Stand on our shoulders. Stand on our shoulders and go higher. Take this and see your marriage healed. And we just bless you with that and encourage you in Jesus' name.